This is On Target, a look at politics, crime, education, what's happening in Newfoundland and Labrador with the people who know. The views and opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of this station. And now your On Target host, Linda Swain. Good Friday afternoon. I'm not Linda Swain. Jerry Lynn Mackey joining you for today's edition of On Target. And I'm happy to be here. So thank you so much for tuning in. Well, I've got that fever, you know, it's like an itch under the collar to get out and enjoy this day. It's just lovely here in the metro region and really right across the province. We are looking at some good weather as we head into the Victoria Day long weekend. Now with that, I mean, a lot of us will be taking an opportunity to get out in the woodlands or cabin country or the camp grounds or even the RV campgrounds, right? And it's also the first kind of weekend of the year where people kind of dust off their all-terrain vehicles and break them out for the first time. Well, on that note, there's going to be a lot of that going on this weekend. I reached out to Rick Noseworthy. He's the president of the Newfoundland Trailway Council, and I just chatted with him a little bit about the weekend upon us. This is the kickoff. There's no question that, you know, everybody goes to their cabin. Uh, everybody goes camping. Uh, you know, there's a lot of people don't open up their summer homes till May 24th. So, uh, you know, this is the big weekend. And you look at the forecast, uh, I think it's going to be one of our busier ones. Absolutely. You're on your way to the woods right now. As I speak, I'm on my way to my place in Deer Park. And is there much traffic on the highway? No, I got ahead of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, smart move. And so, I mean, what like what are you or are the most significant aspects of this new off-road vehicle act that's come out? The, I guess the big thing is, and you know, it's shocking. Common sense should have ruled, but now it's law that you need to wear a helmet on everything. And that's snowmobile, that's an ergo. Uh, more importantly, in my world, uh, that's a side-by-side, be it enclosed or not enclosed. Helmets are required. And how important is it to get, you know, to get that in, in effect? It's crucial. It, it, it's the law of the land in most of Canada. Uh, as the acts change and get upgraded, uh, it becomes the law of the land in all the provinces. It's, ma- it's the manufacturer's recommendation. The machines are designed for helmets to be worn in them. It's very important. It, it's it's uh, like I, I hate using it as a pawn uh, when it comes to a helmet, but it's a no-brainer. You, you need to wear a helmet. Yeah, it's going to save your life, and you can't take it back once you've been in a dust-up. You know what I mean? Once it happens, it's it's too late to wear your helmet. For sure. I was talking to uh, um, a friend of mine who was an RNC officer the other day, and uh, he was at a call, not not related to an ATV accident, but there was someone in the residence who was in a rollover ATV accident several years ago, and uh, he said the living room of the house was converted into a bedroom because the person's brain injury is so severe that he can't maneuver around the house, can't get up over stairs, and uh, that stuff hits home. You know, for the sake of a helmet, uh, that person could be having a vibrant life. And, uh, you know, that's the sort of things, uh, being in this uh, sport um, or this recreation, whatever you want to call it, but uh, when you're in it and you're around these first responders all the time and you hear the stories, uh, that's what really drives it home. How common in this province are ATV or side-by-side accidents or, or even collisions, I guess, because sometimes it's preventable and people don't like to say it's an accident? Exactly. We we don't use the word accident. Uh, you know, 
Accident means something completely different. Uh, you know, we call them incidents. Um, it's sporadic. Um, a lot of it goes, um, I, I guess, unreported. Uh, but they're, they're frequent. But the other side of a jury lane is that there is a lot more ATVs out there. We are getting safer. We're not, you know, there's a, there's certainly a 2% um, that are problematic for everybody. But at the height of the pandemic, ATV sales were up 147%. Like, that's an awful lot of machines. Per capita, you know, we probably got more ATVs and recreation vehicles than anywhere. And, you know, deaths are there. But per capita, and for the, I guess for the amount of machines, we are getting safer. What are the most common infractions that people would get involved in on ATVs or side-by-sides? Uh, sadly, uh, I think that uh, one of the biggest issues is impaired operation and operating outside an approved area, uh, you know, on the roads and all that. Now, of course, the new legislation is going to change some of that, but that new legislation is certainly not a free pass. That's a good legislation uh, for driving on the side of the roads, but there's caveats to that, and if it's done right, it's a good legislation. It's not a free pass to just you know leave and drive on every road you want. It goes from trailhead to trailhead, providing it's a, only a kilometer or less than a kilometer. Uh, speed has to be 20 kilometers an hour or less, and the driver of the machine has to be has to have a valid driver's license. Uh, the machine has to be registered and insured. So that's good. That's not to get in the machine and go to your buddy's house or you know, to go to a store or to go do something, that's to go from trailhead to trailhead. So, you know, that's big. Um, Of course, like I said, that's an infraction that we see a lot, control on the roads. And chances are, out of control on the roads are people that are not registered, not insured, and probably underage, but it's not always underage. Um, One of the other things that we do see is underage operation where the machines are being used as a babysitter. And that is our concern this weekend because you get a 14-year-old or a 13-year-old teenager, and my God, I was one one time, that uh, you know the machine can be used as a as a ploy or as a you know dangling the carrot to get them to come to the cabin for the weekend. You know they want to be in town hanging with their friends. Oh, you know if you come up to the cabin, well the ATV is there or the boat is there, and uh, you know that sort of entices them. But we certainly don't want them used as babysitters. Yeah, and that is a real concern. So, Rick, I guess the takeaway is you got to be 16 years old to operate an ATV, and 14 to 16 years old can operate an ATV with an engine the size of 90 cc's or less if they're with a person and supervised by a person who's 19 years old. Yes. Now, 14, what they've done, uh, they've changed that somewhat to say that uh, the machines are going to be uh, – marked in such a way now that they're basing it on speed and they're going to say this machine is appropriate for a 14 or 15 year old and it will not go faster than so many kilometers an hour and that that's a known as coming from the manufacturer one time the manufacturer put a machine out that had 90 cc's now i guess there's a lot of old machines out there with 90 cc's uh you know marked on them the machine has to be less than 90 cc's i know it's a bit tangly but uh, 90 cc's or less but the big thing is parental supervision if you're 14 and 15 you need 
to have parental supervision uh, under the age of 14. And this is a bonus that wasn't in the last legislation, that a child can still operate a machine. Under 13, they can still operate a machine. It has to be size appropriate and parental supervision. And, Jerry Lynn, it doesn't matter what. Like, obviously, you know, too big is too big. But the big, big draw and the big thing that everybody got to watch is the parental supervision. Very, very rarely, I have never heard of it, of a child being seriously injured while they're under the supervision of an adult. It's when the child gets away from the parents, they make bad decisions. And I can't make that. That is the biggest thing I could spend the rest of the interview saying it to you. Parental supervision is the key. You know, when it comes to being out in cabin country and being settled in, you know, within, you got neighbors, you got friends, is impaired driving a problem when it comes to off-road vehicles? It certainly is. It is. I don't know percentage-wise if it's any different than the impaired driving of vehicles, but I would think that it probably is. And um, if you're speaking to the RCMP, um, you know, we do a lot of work with those folks, and uh, they'll tell you that this impaired driving um, in 2022 is still a problem, and I don't understand that. You know, it's still a problem. Well, what we've been finding is we have talked to people. I've been in the presence of a Mountie, and a person has t- t- told me how responsible they are, how they'll go to their cabin, they take the keys of their truck, put them on the fridge, and if they're going to dart around and have a few beer, they'll take the ATV. That, you know, I, I can't believe that people don't understand that, but, uh, you know, we do see it. Any final thoughts, Rick, you know, as, as we embark on the long weekend? Be careful. You know, um, for myself up here in Deer Park, I would probably not even use my ATV this weekend. Uh, you know, it's going to be a very busy weekend, and, uh, you know, I have the opportunity to ATV pretty much whenever I want. So this might be a weekend for me that I, I will sit it out, unless now um, the RCMP call and they want to do a quick uh, cabin patrol. You know, we'll certainly jump in the system there. But uh, for the most part, uh, my stuff will remain in my garage. And that is president of the Newfoundland T-Rail or Trailway Council. And he was speaking with yours truly here about ATV off-road vehicle safety and the new legislation that's come into effect now as well. Well, stay with us here on your VOCM on Target. We're going to be checking in with Corporal Jolene Garland of the RCMP next on your VOCM. It's the May 24th weekend with your VOCM. And welcome back to On Target. My name is Jerry Lynn Mackey. I'm filling in for the radio queen herself, Linda Swain, for today's edition of On Target. We're talking all things traffic and the May 2-4 and road safety as well. That week, the actual week that's dedicated to road safety is coming up. So with that, I reached out to Corporal Jolene Garland of the RCMP to talk a little bit more about road safety. We're certainly expecting for things to be amped up. As you mentioned, everybody is uh, looking for a good time and deserves to have a good time. We're just hoping that people will certainly be safe and, you know, come back and have positive stories to tell about what they did the weekend instead of something tragic. So uh, we're expecting increased vehicle traffic on the Trans-Canada Highway and secondary roadways as people travel to their destinations this weekend. In addition, we're expecting increased travel on off-road vehicle use or even boats this weekend. So we're hoping that people will be wearing all the proper safety gear, driving within the rules, and staying safe and staying sober. 
What are some of the most common, I guess, infractions that you see on a long weekend with beautiful blue sky everywhere? Speed on our highways, tailgating, you know, impatient drivers, aggressive drivers, those that are trying to pass in the passing lane. And, you know, you know, the lane is ending coming up, but uh, not yielding, trying to make that pass at the very last moment and putting all others at risk. So if a driver sees the yield, just to just to nail this down now, if you're if you're attempting to pass a vehicle and you see you're in a double lane and you see that yield, you, you do have to fall back. Right. I mean, that's the safest way to go about that. Absolutely. Uh, When a lane is about to end, there's always a warning sign coming up and telling you even the distance that that lane will end in. So you have plenty of notice, whether you visually perceive the lane ending yourself or the signage that that comes before the lane ends. It's your responsibility as a motorist then to cut back your speed and pull in behind the vehicle if you don't have time to safely pass it and within the speed of the law. And is that when drivers and people on our highways are most vulnerable in the passing maneuver? It seems like that's definitely, uh, I mean, it seems like it's definitely a risky situation, especially when it comes to the passing lane ending. It seems like motorists want to get out and pass that last vehicle. They just got to get past it before the lane ends. But, you know, realistically, it's the responsibility and the smarter choice would be to slow back their speed, pull back in behind the vehicle in front of them and wait for another safe opportunity to pass. What are some other things that drivers need to know? I mean, when it comes to being on the highway and it's really crowded. So following distance, keeping a safe distance between yourself and the motorist ahead of you. So we don't want um, people tailgating, which is what we commonly see when traffic is higher and people are trying to get to their destinations. Again, they're probably looking to pass the motorist. Some people feel like if they're riding on your coattails that maybe you're going to get out of their way or speed up. Uh, I mean, I don't know why people think that. If people are driving within the law, they should be respected. Uh, They shouldn't have to be tailgated by other impatient motorists behind them. Um, So we would like to see people have some patience. Give yourself some extra time. Enjoy the beautiful day. Take in the scenery and drive safe. And I mean, when I hear you say, say, following distance, it it makes me think of when when you are behind another vehicle, you know, a lot of people are going to have trailers or an ATV or I saw a couple of Sea-Doo's earlier the week on the highway. You know, what do people need to know when it comes to securing their load? So, I mean, you never know when somebody ahead of you may run into some trouble and you want to be able to safely stop or avoid a collision with the vehicle that's ahead of you. So, again, you mentioned trailers and the like. Definitely, we're going to see an increased presence of those types of vehicles being towed across the island, um, you know, this weekend. And like anything, they can run into issues, mechanical and trouble and the like, or maybe they're not properly secured and they and, and, you know, they could come off during travel. So you want to be careful when you're traveling behind uh, vehicles towing uh, you know trailers and the like and and give them the proper space um, to drive safely so people who have trailers and stuff uh, heading on the highway hopefully you've done a pre-inspection here this morning hopefully you make sure that everything is working properly your locking mechanisms um, your chains all those things are connected properly the wiring the electronic system that uh, you know you're breaking for your trailer so that stuff shows up in your signal lights all these things need to be in good shape and working What about construction zones? I know that, of course, there is a construction speed limit that's posted, but if drivers don't see any workers in the zone, they're they're still, they have to slow down. If the signs are erected, drivers are still obliged to obey by them. Now, we understand 
that there are construction zones out there where the companies or the, the workers are not doing their part by, you know, if the work is done for the day and the road is now safe to travel back at highway speeds, because sometimes just because they're not there doesn't mean that the speed can go back up. You know, there may be areas of, of uh, that are continually being worked on or areas of gravel there or the shoulder is down or a half a lane is it scraped off, etc. So not all the time just because their construction crew are not there doesn't mean the speed that does it mean that the speed can resume back to normal but when the signs are up motorists start to follow them corporal jolene garland of the rcmp i'd also like to ask about the new legislation that's come into effect regarding atv safety um, namely the use of helmets that's the biggest change, I guess, or, well, it's not the biggest change. It's the biggest one the public seems to be concerned about. Um, so mandatory helmet use for all off-road vehicles. That's your regular ATV that you would sit uh, in front and behind one another. It's your side-by-side all-terrain vehicle, and it's your snowmobile. And even Argos, anything that fits under the off-road vehicles. Another big one is the ATVs. All off-road vehicles now have to have license, have to have registration and insurance. And if they're even, no matter where they're being operated, and if they if they're caught without those documents, there's seizure authority. So we can seize the seize the ATV. And you know, when it comes to wearing the helmet, how important is that in this day and age? It protects your vital organ being your head. If you come uh, off of that ATV, if it's one you're sitting on without a seatbelt or the like, or your snowmobile, if you come off that and, and you get thrown, what are you getting thrown into? What is your head going to hit? These are things you have to think about. So it could be the pavement. It could be a tree. It could be another vehicle. You're not going to fare out very well against any of those things if you don't have a helmet on your head. And I was also speaking with Rick Noseworthy about ATV safety, and he did mention you. We were kind of talking a little bit about impaired driving and ATVs because it seems like maybe there might be an urge or an increased urge from some who are in cabin country. And, you know, Rick mentioned that some people might even think it's it's okay to drive while impaired on an ATV. Your thoughts? They may think one or two things, either it's okay or that they won't be detected. It's hard to know which is which. I mean, generally speaking, off-road vehicle use is takes place in the off-road, the back country, cabin country, where, you know, there's not a heavy police presence. So maybe people have this uh, thought or relaxed uh, view on it that they won't be caught or apprehended. You know, we do have off-road vehicles uh, as resources at many of our detachments and can you know, do those types of patrols. We can also position our patrol cars in areas where we can do checkpoints on common trails that are used, etc. So people need to be concerned about it. But moreover, they need to be concerned about their actions towards themselves, their safety, and the safety of others. So, you know, impaired driving is one that comes with deadly consequences to the operator and to others who share the roadway or the trail. It's not something you'd want to be waking up, you know, tomorrow morning and thinking about how you took somebody's life. That's Corporal Jolene Garland, Media Relations with the RCMP in this province. My name's Jerry Lynn Mackey. When we come back, we're going to be talking with uh, Media Relations for the RNC about road safety. It's so important. And I had a whole different set of questions for Constable James Cadigan. Joining us next on your VOCM.
The unofficial start to summer, the May 2-4 VOCM. Good Friday afternoon. Are you itching like I am to get out and get into the wilderness? Well, I, I actually had a week off uh, leading up to today, so I'm, I'm good. I'm good. I'm very rested. Now, that's not saying I'm not going to get out and maybe enjoy that new section of the East Coast Trail that they cut the ribbon on yesterday. I'm going to find something to do, and it will likely involve driving. There's going to be a lot of vehicles on our roadways throughout this weekend, May 24th weekend everybody's kind of been holding their gas money maybe for for today and tomorrow on into Monday. Well, on that note, I did reach out to RNC Media Relations, James Cadigan, to talk a little bit about how the RNC is ramping up for enforcement throughout this weekend. Yeah, so I mean, we're, we're falling right into Canada Road Safety Week, uh, which started on the uh, Tuesday past. So uh, Canada Road Safety Week is a week that's focused on safe driving practices, you know, focusing on your behavior behind the wheel. I mean, I think I speak for most people when I say that uh, operating a car or any motor vehicle sometimes becomes pretty routine. I mean, you know, getting your A to B, whether it's going to work or heading out to the cabin, I mean, we don't think much of, you know, that... uh, that act, you know, of driving a vehicle, but uh, we, we really do have a ton of power in our hands with that steering wheel, and, uh, you know, it really requires all of our attention from A to B, and it's so important to recognize that responsibility. Absolutely. I remember when I was first getting my license, my dad kept saying to me, you're driving a lethal weapon. You always have to remember that. But, I mean, you know, what are some of the most common infractions that you see from drivers? Yeah, I mean, you know, again, with this Canada-wide campaign, they talk about impaired driving, distracted driving, aggressive driving behaviors. But what we're really uh, hitting on this year with Safer You, Safer Me being the uh, slogan is uh, risky behavior, you know, like the quick left turn to try and beat a line of traffic or, you know, anything of that nature where you're trying to make a quick movement to to get ahead or to, uh, you know, get where you're going a little bit faster. And that's the type of stuff, I mean, you know, again, going back to the whole taking a left to beat a line of traffic, you know, that risky act, you know, generally tunnels our perception and and our attention. So it's possible we'll miss, you know, the pedestrian trying to cross the road that we're looking to access or whatever it may be. So, I mean, it's so important to take our time, you know, assess our environment and, uh, you know, give our full attention to, all that's going on around us when we're behind the wheel. Something else that's very common and prevalent these days is drivers speeding. How how much of this are you seeing from where you are? Yeah, I mean, that's that's a across-the-board issue uh, that we hear at the RNC. I mean, if you speak to communities across the province, I think their day-to-day concern for safety is related to aggressive driving. And, uh, you know, even the small communities, you know, will say that, uh, you know, maybe the top of their list for concerns would be the speeding vehicle that shoots through through their town. So, uh, you know, it really does just come back to that responsibility we have as operators of motor vehicles across the province to recognize that we have to be attention, pay attention to our surroundings. I mean, if we're traveling at a high rate of speed through narrow roads or, or small communities, you had to think about the risks we take in doing so and, uh, you know, the bad repercussions that could uh, occur if we do have, have to take a split-second act to avoid whether it's an animal or, or a pedestrian or another vehicle that might be trying to access a road. You know, we have to reduce our speeds 
to reduce risk. And, and speaking of that risk, I mean, what should a driver do if they find themselves in, in a pack of traffic and there is an aggressive or risky driver in there? I mean, that's we want that reported to the RNC or, or the local police service in whatever part of the province you might be in. You know, that's important uh, to provide information so that we can better respond uh, to areas where these concerns are, are seen and observed. So, uh, you know, it's, it's just about strategically deploying our resources, and uh, we need that information. And certainly, if we're going to hold people accountable, you know, we, we do require that information because, uh, you know, our officers will follow up on every report we receive related to traffic uh, traffic violations. And Constable Cadigan, something else, I guess it's, you know, some people might be afraid to pull over if they're in the vicinity of a risky driver. But, I mean, I've seen some vehicles pull over where it's not safe to do so. So what are some general guidelines where if you do want to pull over for any situation, where is it safe? I mean, we it's just about paying attention to your environment and uh, being aware you know, if there's a shoulder of a road where you can access uh, safely, you know, it's put on your indicator and, and make sure that the traffic around you is aware of your intended action. And, I mean, then you can make your phone call or, or make your report. Uh, so, I mean, again, going back to this campaign this week, talking about a safer you, safer me, it really is focused on the fact that if I am practicing safe driving, then you can expect to be operating around me in a safe manner. You know, you know that I'm not going to cause you any problems or, or put you in an unsafe situation. So as a whole, it, it really protects our whole community if I commit myself to a safe driving behavior. And, you know, sticking with that theme, safer you, safer me, what are some other risky tactics that you've seen on the roads? I mean, I think that the biggest conversation piece the last number of years would be distracted driving. I mean, when, when you really break it down and, and understand what this means, we're talking about people operating motor vehicles who are literally not looking at the road while operating. So whether it's using a cell phone or eating or, you know, doing something inside the vehicle that is taking their attention away, you know, so it's really we just need to uh, understand that when you're traveling your A to B, you know, to take your attention away from the road, your surroundings, the environment, you know, and certainly in tough weather conditions here in the province, you know, it really requires every bit of your attention from start to finish. And, uh, you know, the, the risk we take by accessing a, a cell phone or, you know, taking that bite of your sandwich or whatever it might be, you know, it's a split second that can literally change somebody's life. And, you know, that's kind of why we're hosting this on target in this theme, because really it's a split second and you can't take it back. And we want everyone to be safe and, and no tragedy this weekend. But, I mean, another thing that I'm seeing a lot of is that sort of after the winter cleanup, like line painting crews are about town everywhere right across the province. And and even when the crosswalks aren't, you know, fully painted on or back and clear, you still have to watch for pedestrians on crosswalks, right? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's, again, going back to the vigilance you require behind the wheel. Uh, you know, especially if you're going through a community you're not familiar with, it's important to be, be close attention and, and to signage and, uh, you know, any markings on the roads or or construction zones. And, uh, you know, you really want to heed any, uh, any signage. And, and even if you don't observe the line painting, when you see that sign, you really want to reduce speed and ensure that you're not going to... Uh, you know, essentially 
pass through an area without paying attention to what the signage indicates. And on the topic of crosswalks, I guess it, it wouldn't hurt to reiterate the legislation around that where your car tires are not allowed to be on a crosswalk when there's a pedestrian on that crosswalk, right? Yeah, exactly. And, and one thing that I think is often forgotten with crosswalks is we have to wait till that pedestrian is completely past the crosswalk, essentially, from one side of the road to the other before we proceed in our motor vehicles. So if, if someone accesses a crosswalk and we are stopped, until they reach that opposite side, you know, we had to remain stopped and uh, observant of that pedestrian's activity. Constable Cadigan, any message, any final message for people as they get ready and prepare to head out wherever they may be going on the Victoria Day weekend? Yeah, I mean, what we always hope is that everybody has a safe and fun weekend. And I think that uh, one of the main issues that could put a uh, stunt in that would be a, a tragedy or, or any type of action that uh, results in, uh, you know, something terrible happening to somebody as a result of traffic or motor vehicle uh, behavior. So I think that uh, if we could just all commit to, uh, you know, safe behaviors and uh, when you're traveling on the highways, certainly reduce your speeds and pay attention to your surroundings as you're proceeding to your, your destination. Uh, you know, the RNC will be working with our partners at RCMP throughout the weekend. And uh, you can expect to see checkpoints and different traffic and uh, speeding related operations. So uh, it's important to recognize that we will be there to support these efforts and, and to keep the roads safe. And, uh, and a commitment to that in the community will uh, ensure that this weekend is safe and enjoyable. And that is RNC Media Relations, Constable James Cadigan. We were chatting about road safety and I guess the different infractions. It was almost like a little refresher course as we embark on the Victoria Day long weekend. The holiday weekend is upon us. Are you having a fire? No, because we're going to be talking fire safety next. Chief Vince McKenzie joins me on your VOCM on On Target today. Happy May 24th weekend, your VOCM. Good Friday afternoon. Welcome back. My name's Jerry Lynn Mackey. Linda Swain is off today, and I'm filling in for her this time around. So thank you for tuning in. Thank you for joining me. Well, we've been talking a lot about, well, different safety aspects as we head into the Victoria Day long weekend. The May 2-4 is upon us, and a lot of people are making plans, heading out, already got the plans made, really just uh, getting ready to pull the trigger on them and have a good time. And and with that comes the fire, the outdoor fire, the campfire, the backyard fire, the cabin fire. Vince McKenzie is fire chief in Grand Falls, Windsor, but he's also president of Maritime Fire Chiefs Association. So I did reach him in Central to talk a little bit about some of the finer points when it comes to having a fire outside. When it comes to having an outdoor fire, the first thing to remember, of course, is that the forest fire regulations are now in effect in the province of Newfoundland and Labrador. And that means a couple of things. Uh, first thing, of course, if you're having a fire within 300 meters of forested land, which is basically anywhere in Newfoundland, Labrador, you would require a permit uh, in order to like burn brush or anything like that. But if you're having a campfire, a campfire is permitted as long as it is uh, like a mineral soil or around a beach and that kind of stuff. The uh, the campfire cannot be any larger, uh, 1.8 meters high, I think, so 18 inches, basically. I always confuse myself with the sizes in, in, in metric. But anyway, the, uh, to have a small fire, is, a campfire is acceptable, but you also must have a method of extinguishment around it as well. 
And uh, so therefore you must have, I think it's at least eight litres of water, which is basically two gallons, or be near uh, a source of water as well, like on a beach or something like that. You also must bear in mind that if the forest fire weather index goes to very high or extreme, all fires are not permitted then. And normally the province will issue a fire ban in the area uh, where uh, the uh, the uh, weather index is high. And that weather index, of course, can be uh, seen on the government website, on the uh, uh, natural resources website. So you want to monitor that every day, especially in your cabin area. The other thing you remember is that, uh, you know, irregardless of regulation, common sense is one of the biggest things when it comes to having any kind of fire. Uh, fires, of course, should be in like a prepared pit, something like that. You just wouldn't lay it on the forest floor or anything like that. You would have to be in mineral soil and uh, so that the fire doesn't spread. And one of the most important things, of course, is when you're finished with it at night, remember that these fires can smolder in the ground for days. So it's very important that it's put out with water, stirred around. The campfire is dead out because... You know, there's been instances where days later, uh, the fire wind picks up, sun comes out, it dries out, and you end up with a forest fire. Oh, that's such a frightening thought. What are some of the most common mistakes that you see people making when they're hosting an outdoor fire? Well, biggest thing, of course, is you got to remember it's a fire. And, of course, young kids are playing around the campfires as well, and they're running around, they're excited, they're roasting marshmallows or whatever. But uh, you also see uh, uh, instances where there are burn injuries, with, uh, with especially our young, our young folk, uh, playing on fire. If you happen to trip and fall into the fire or get too close or, or touch the metal container, you can get some very serious burns. So it's very important to watch young children and, uh, and those adults that sometimes act like children when, uh, when they have a few libations or whatever. But you've got to be very careful around around the fires themselves. And also when you're cooking, uh, most of marshmallows or wieners, that stuff becomes very hot and you can certainly burn people and and it's not to be played with, I think, right? So it's important. Yeah, there's nothing worse than melting marshmallow burning away on your hand. I have been down that road. Chief McKenzie, what about for cabin owners who are returning to their cabins after, I don't know, months away? Anything they need to know if if their cabin has uh, like a fireplace? Absolutely. Well, a couple of things. You're going to your cabin owner, you're going to your cabin, you're going to be sleeping there. So the very first thing I would pack is a battery-operated smoke alarm to take to your cabin because most likely if they've been locked up over the winter or you just forget it, a smoke alarm is very important. And it's actually required by law that you have a smoke alarm in every sleeping room, and that includes cabins uh, in, uh, in in the woods. So I would not go to sleep with a, a smoke alarm over your head, especially in a cabin, that kind of thing. So make sure you, your smoke alarm works and test it as soon as you arrive there and uh, protect you over the weekend. But then when it comes to your wood-burning appliance, you make sure that it's, uh, that it's been inspected, it's clean, uh, there's no bird nest or nothing now in the chimney because that uh, typically happens sometimes and sometimes the chimneys get obstructed. So be careful uh, when you're lighting your, your wood-burning appliance for the first time and hopefully it's been installed properly to begin with. And then again, also uh, cleaning of the chimney is, is very important as well. The other thing to remember is around generators, you know, especially in your cabin area, you have generators, and generators produce the deadly gas carbon monoxide. And uh, so all too often we hear of instances of people being injured or, or worse uh, around carbon monoxide poisoning. 
and any combustion engine that's used for uh, for like a generator that kind of stuff will produce carbon monoxide and must always be used in a very well ventilated area basically outside and also where the exhaust does not come into the doorway or the windows of the uh, of the structure so that's very important to remember and also again the other thing is that uh, camping camping equipment coleman stoves those kind of devices, they're also designed to be used outside. They also produce a deadly carbon monoxide gas. And if you're using that inside of a trailer or, or anything like that, if it's not specifically designed for indoor use, and a Coleman stove is not, it's designed to be used outside, you should never use these inside because carbon monoxide can certainly build up. It's a cold, colorless, odorless gas that you don't detect, and uh, it can be deadly. So if you do experience any kind of flu-like symptoms or anything while you're in the cabin, or you, and, and that's what carbon monoxide poisoning roughly is, is an indication is similar to the flu-like symptoms, runny nose, headache, that kind of stuff, stuff that goes away usually when you go out in fresh air. So it's important if you're using those devices to be very aware, carbon monoxide is something that's always present. It's never safe to use these things indoors. That's a, that's an excellent reminder, too. I hadn't even thought about the carbon monoxide threat, the silent killer, but it is always a threat, right? Chief McKenzie, um, as we approach the long weekend, I guess it's not just campfires and, you know, fires outside municipalities. There are people who are breaking out their fire pits in their own backyards. And I guess for each municipality, the, the guidelines and the regulations do vary and they change from time to time. I guess, is it a good idea for people to brush up on, on their municipality's regulations each year? Yeah, for sure. Some municipalities outright ban it. I know mine here in Grand Falls, Windsor, we don't ban, uh, but we do uh, ask everybody to use common sense. Your fire cannot be a, a hindrance to your neighbor's property. If they got a line of clothes out or something like that and they're smoking it, their line of clothes or their windows are open. So, again, common sense really prevails in those kind of instances. But some communities certainly do not permit um, open fires. Uh, but uh, usually if it's in a prepared uh, fireplace or a store-bought one, uh, you know, and you're using it very sensibly, but always, always, always have a source of water, either the garden holes, especially in your homes uh, close by, because all too often fire departments across our region respond to fires involving, you know, the grass fire or the shed or uh, fires that get away uh, from uh, from homeowners. And, of course, if you're sitting there with the garden holes, and ready to go, and you won't have a problem. And that is my conversation with Vince McKenzie. He is Fire Chief Grand Falls, Windsor, and he's also president of the Maritime Fire Chiefs Association and uh, past president of the Newfoundland and Labrador Association of Fire Safety, too. So he's a good he's a good contact to have when it comes to learning more about fire safety. My name's Jerry Lynn Mackey. Well, that's going to do it for me here on Your VOCM for today. I hope you have a fabulous weekend. Stay safe and have a great time. All right, news coming up at the top of the hour and then we're into the afternoon drive on your VOCM.